0: The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at ShadesValley.org.
1: I'll be reading our scripture today if you'd like to turn to it. I have a couple of different scriptures, Matthew 18, 1 through 6, and then Matthew 19, uh, 13 and 11. That's 19, 13, and 14. Okay. Hear the word of the Lord. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And now Matthew 19, 13 and 14. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's, uh, let's pray together. So, Father, we are grateful. For the gift that is your word. And that you haven't just given us your word, but you've given us your spirit who inspired it in order that he might illuminate it. And we pray that's what he would do now. Shine a light through this text into our dark hearts that we might behold your glory in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. And in beholding his glory, may we be transformed from one degree of glory to the next to look more like Jesus. That's our prayer. This morning, we pray it in his name, by your spirit. Amen. If you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. It is, uh, it is very, very good to be back. Um, if you're new to Shades and you just started attending over the last month, my name is Jonathan Haifes. Uh, I'm the pastor here, so surprise! Surprise! Um, I'm normally who you get preaching each Sunday morning, and I do apologize for that because over the last month you've had the chance to sit under some wonderful teaching. I know that, because even though my family has been out of town for most of the weeks of July, we've always been in town on the weekends. And so we've been here every single Sunday. And I was I was so blessed by Brad, by Grant, by Andy, and Jeff. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I was greatly blessed by by all of them. And Shades, I actually believe that me not preaching for the entire month of July has been healthy. And I think it's been healthy for a host of reasons. I'll just give you two, one for you and one for me. So first, I think it's been healthy for me to not preach in the month of July because I believe it reminds you of who your true shepherd is. Shades, it is my joy to serve as your under shepherd for however long the Lord will allow. But Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, which Grant preached on, says that you have a great shepherd whom God raised from the dead. Jesus Christ is your shepherd who rose to shepherd you forever. My job is just to shepherd you towards him. and I pray that July has helped to remind you of who your true shepherd is. Second reason I think it's been healthy for me to not preach over the month of July is because it has reminded me that we are family. In other words, that this, what it is my great joy and honor to do, this is not just a job. Like I I told you that my family, we were here every Sunday during July, even the ones where we were on vacation. You may think that sounds insane, but shades, there is nowhere else we would rather be. Not not on a Sunday morning, not another place on this planet that we would rather be than right here worshiping Jesus with you. If, if in my first couple of years at Shades, you had seen me here over a weekend that I was supposed to be on vacation, you could have been like, that guy's got some control issues. And you probably would have been right. Not anymore. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because we are family bought by the blood of Jesus, and it is my joy to worship Jesus with you. July has helped remind me this isn't a job. This is this is family. Shades. All I'm trying to say is that it is good to be back at a place where we set up communion while the sermon is happening. <laughs> that's that's all I'm trying to say, and that's all I got to say about that. Moving on. For those of you who are new, our normal modus operandi on Sunday mornings is to simply preach our way through books of the Bible, passage by passage. But it's actually going to be five weeks, including today, before we settle down into our next book study. Because over the next five weeks, we've got two things that we need to do. One of those things happens every other year. Roughly every other year, we do a brief series about who we are at Shades Valley, why we do what we do, why we're a little bit different, all of that. So we're going to do that starting next week. Starting next week, we'll settle into a small four-week series about who we are at Shades, why we do what we do. But this week, we've got one other thing to do. This morning, what I'm aiming to accomplish in this sermon is I, I, I want to try and lay a theological foundation for why we, Shades Valley Community Church, are partnering with an organization called GRACE. GRACE, uh, you've probably heard me mention it before, GRACE is an acronym. It's a mouthful. It stands for Godly Response to Abuse, primarily talking about sexual abuse, primarily talking about with children. But It stands for Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment. In other words, Grace is an organization that comes alongside of and helps Christian institutions, primarily churches. It helps them learn how to best prevent abuse in their context. And it helps to train them on how to rightly respond if abuse does Kurt, like I said, many of you have heard me talk about this organization as Susan Sexton brought it to our attention and has been leading us to part into partnership with them over the past year. They have already come once and done a training with all of our staff and all of our elders. They've been working alongside of our policy team, which you didn't even know we had. We've mentioned it before. We have a volunteer policy team that is working with Grace to develop uh, good policies for abuse prevention and response. And You've probably already heard me even mention they are coming later this month. The info's in your bulletin. Saturday, August the 20th, 9 to noon, they are coming to do a training with all of us. Entire congregation. And it's my hope, it's my hope that all of you will be here for that. This morning, I just want to show you why from the Word. I want to lay a theological foundation for why we've partnered with grace, why this is important to us at Shades, and why it should be important to you. This is what I hope we will see in Matthew 18. So let's look into the word together. Matthew 18, let's start in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This passage has parallels in both the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. And if you look at those parallel passages, you'll learn the disciples were actually arguing about this amongst themselves. They're competing with one another, jockeying for position. And clearly Jesus is the only one who can actually settle this argument, so they end up coming to him. I mean, after all, the Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as the long-awaited king of the kingdom of God. So these disciples have naturally got to assume, well, we're going to be the king's court. Who's got the highest rank? Especially if you look right before this, Jesus was talking about the fact that he would soon die. All right, who's next in line is probably what's on their mind. Like they're asking, which disciple is getting like the disciple of the month plaque? Or really asking about the kingdom of God. It's the disciple of eternity plaque they're going for right here. Who gets the world's best disciple mug? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Notice first and foremost, the obvious. Their question is centered on themselves. Like that's all they can see right here. How's this whole kingdom of heaven thing that you've been talking about, Jesus? How's it about me? My status, my rank, my glory. makes sense they would think that way. That's the way that kings and kingdoms in this world operate. Earthly kings and kingdoms, they see things this way, do they not? Is not all of our life, our job, our our relationships, our our social media projection of ourselves, is not all of it some attempt to climb some kind of invisible social ladder? Is it not about my status, my rank, my, my glory? Notice what the disciples are doing right here. They're they're trying to see the kingdom of heaven through a kingdom of earth lens, which makes them not able to see at all. It makes them blind, blind to what Jesus wants them to see. So look at what he does in order to open up their eyes. Look at verse two. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. Disciples are busy being centered on themselves, so Jesus puts someone else at the center. Not a person of rank or status, someone whose name we don't even know. Jesus does not often use visual aids. Something important is happening. There is something he specifically wants them to literally see. Calling a child to him, he put him in the midst of them. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn, where you're headed right now, wrong way, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is the first of three kingdom actions that Jesus reveals in this text. Three kingdom actions that lay a theological foundation for why Shades is partnering with grace. Action number one, seeing with kingdom eyes. Action number one, seeing with kingdom eyes. Jesus completely flips the disciples' definition of greatness, doesn't he? And he does it in a way they can literally see. Because he's aiming to replace their earthly eyes with with kingdom vision. So he literally sets a child in their midst and says, you want to know what greatness in my kingdom looks like? You're looking at it. In fact, he goes further than that. He says, unless you turn, turn from being centered on yourself, jockeying for the highest position, being about your rank, your social status, your glory, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never even enter my kingdom. That kind of stuff, jockeying for position, climbing over everyone to put yourself at the top, that belongs to the kingdoms of this world. That leads you to enter those kingdoms, not mine. Greatness looks like the exact opposite of that in the kingdom of Christ. You want to know what greatness looks like? Verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean? Whoever humbles himself like this child. I got 5 kids. And none of them humble. Was he What does he mean? Children were highly valued in first century Israel. They were considered a blessing from the Lord. Just read the Psalms and you'll know that. But that didn't change the fact that they were on the bottom rung of the social ladder. They still are. No power, no rights. We've given them a little bit of rights now. We've got some like child labor laws and stuff like that. I mean, not at my house. At my house, we work them to death. But generally, I'm just kidding. The children in the first centuries with no power, no rights, no greatness of their own. They were completely dependent upon their parents. They were of humble position. That's what Jesus is talking about. Not some kind of like innate quality that kids have, not some innate innocence, which they don't have, not some innate humbleness that they have because they don't know. This convo from the beginning has been about greatness, about position. Jesus points to children as an example of a humble position, and that's a position that Jesus looks at and calls Great. Because he's trying to get the disciples and us to see with kingdom eyes that true greatness is found when we cling to Christ like a kid has to, because of the position they take, they have to cling to mom and dad. True greatness is found when we humble ourselves and cling to Christ no matter what it costs. Matthew has already been harping on that theme. If you were with us as we studied the Sermon on the Mount, you know that from Beatitude number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which we saw through the Old Testament context means those who cling to Christ, no matter what it costs, even if it costs them everything that would make them great in the eyes of this world, if it costs them their status, if it literally costs them their wealth and makes them poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They enter that kingdom. This is what Jesus is, is talking about right here. It's what he's trying to get his disciples to see. That if they want to be great in the kingdom of God, then they have to take a position of humility where they despair of trusting in themselves and their own rank and their own glory and their own status and all of these things that center on them. And they cling to Christ no matter what it costs. Even it costs us all the greatness of this world and puts us on the bottom rung of every social ladder ever. And Jesus assumes that It will. Read the Gospel of Matthew. All throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus assumes that faithfulness to him will lead to rejection from the world. Faithfulness to him will lead you away from places of power, not to it. It'll lead you away from power to places of persecution. Faithfulness to him will lead you away from influence and to getting insults. It will lead you away from popularity and onto the, the margins. Faithfulness to Jesus leads to places like mangers and crosses, places that look foolish, but we know to be the very wisdom of God. Faithfulness to Jesus looks like the opposite of the greatness of this world. We, we turn, Jesus says, from clawing our way to the top to embrace the kingdom at the bottom. We follow Christ, our king, all the way down. Christ, who though he was in the form of God at the top of the top, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. As Jeff Stalkup would say, he went lower still. How? By taking the form of a servant. And he went lower still by being born in the likeness of men. Lower still, being found in human form. Lower still, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Lower still, obedient to the point of death. Lower still, even death on a cross. He went from the highest of heights to take the lowest position. There four god has highly exalted him do you see it the way up is down Jesus went down to the lowest position, and where did it lead? God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father, whom Christ himself put at the center. Shades, we follow Christ our King all the way down, even if it takes us through the depths of the grave and death itself but because we know that even the way down to death is really the way up to the greatness of resurrection glory that's a gospel shades do do we see that that the way up is down do we see with kingdom eyes kingdom vision turns the values of this world on their head Kingdom vision says the last or first. You find your life by losing it. The way up is down. The way to life is through death. Shades, this is Jesus 101. And there is no 201. In his kingdom, the least are the greatest. Shades, do we want to know? Do we want to know If we see the world that way, if we see things that way, if we see with kingdom eyes, all we have to do is look at how we treat the least of these within our community. Do we we push them to the margins so that we might set ourselves at the center? Or do we humbly see the greatness of even the least? I'll give you a a test case for us right here, Shades Valley Community Church. As a test case, we can do the same thing that Jesus is doing in this text. We can set our kids at the center of this discussion. Right now, our children, and I don't care if you're a parent or not, if you are a member of Shades Valley Community Church, you have children. Those are our children. They are children of this community and we are all responsible. Right now, our children are in their classes. Do we see that as mere childcare so that we can do the real church thing in here? Or do we prioritize and take seriously the discipleship of the next generation? Like is what we do with kids on Sunday morning, is it important or is it an inconvenience? Do we see them with kingdom eyes? Shades, I submit to you that what we are pursuing to do with grace will not make sense unless we see our community with kingdom eyes. Unless we don't put ourselves at the center, but see the greatness and the value of even the least of these who would normally get pushed to the margins. I don't think that what we're doing with grace will make sense to any of us unless we see this community through Kingdom Eyes. Because here's the deal. As we seek to establish policies to protect the least of these in our community, first and foremost, we're starting with our kids. As we seek to establish policies to protect our kids, we are going to find ourselves, the adults, inconvenienced. I'll give you an example. It's kind of like several, if you've been here for a while, several years ago, we instituted child check-in and check-out. For those of you who are newer, that was not always normal at Shades. And when it became a normal thing, it was an inconvenience. What do you mean? I can't walk all the way down the children's hall and just walk in the classroom and get my kids. You know who I am. Like, we've all known each other for years. Yes. But this is best practice for the protection of the least of these, and we're putting that at the center not ourselves. Shades, as we walk through this process, there may be policies that you think are silly or are a bit over the top, but Shades, I'm praying we will see this entire enterprise through kingdom eyes that we as a body will prioritize the least of these, the most vulnerable in our community. Shades, do we want to know if we as a church see with kingdom eyes all we got to do is look to see how we treat the least of these within our community. That's the very thing Jesus says next. Look, look at verse five. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives one such child in my name. you want, You wanna see if you're seeing with kingdom eyes? If you're receiving me, Look at how you treat the least of these. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Here we see the second kingdom action that lays a theological foundation for why we are partnering with grace. Action number two, receiving with a kingdom heart. We want to see with kingdom eyes. And right here Jesus talks to us about receiving, specifically others, the least of these receiving With a kingdom heart. Now you gotta remember in context here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples who are jockeying for position. In other words, they are not receiving one another, they're competing with one another. And Jesus has just told them that the true way to greatness in the kingdom is the exact opposite of what they are doing. They are to turn from prideful self-reliance to humble Christ reliance. Now, let's let's do some play pretend right here. Let's pretend that some of them do that and some of them don't. How would you tell the difference? How would you tell who really is now seeing through kingdom eyes? Would, Would not those who keep on doing what they're doing, who keep competing for greatness, would they not reject those who humble themselves? Would they not simply climb over them on their supposed way to the top? But those who actually take the way of Christ, who, who, turn from putting themselves at the center, would they not received? Would they not receive the least of these, even when it's of no advantage to them, simply because they see in them a reflection of their King? They see with kingdom eyes, and it would show up in how they treat the least. Of these, they would receive them with a kingdom heart. Whoever receives one such child—a term right there—is very important. One such, whoever receives one such child, because what that means is Jesus right here. He isn't simply talking about receiving literal children, like whoever's kind to kids, you know, is receiving me. You got to pay close attention to his wording right here. One such child. In other words, he's talking about those who have humbled themselves, who have become like children in order to follow him. He's talking about, he's using this child as a metaphor, as a living picture about receiving his true disciples. His true disciples who've really become like children, who've placed their faith and trust in him, turned from trusting in themselves. His true disciples who have no worldly power or wealth because they've been pushed to the margins. And it's of no advantage to you to receive them. It's not going to boost your social status, or your reputation. In fact, to receive them could also put you in danger. Just think about Paul. When Paul becomes a believer in Jesus, for people to receive him literally puts them in danger. It's of no social advantage to them whatsoever. The Corinthians recognize this. Just read 2 Corinthians. The entire letter of 2 Corinthians is Paul saying to that church, I know that taking me as your teacher doesn't do anything for you socially. That's the point. Paul says that's the way the gospel works. Jesus is talking about right here when he says, whoever receives one such child, receiving those who've humbled themselves, become outcasts to the world, and you receive them anyway because you see their true greatness as a child of the king. And Jesus says, whoever receives one of these kinds of kids, my kids, whoever receives one such child in my name receives In other words, Jesus is saying, how you treat my true disciples is how you treat me. He says that in many other places. He's going to say it again, probably most famously in Matthew chapter 25, where he says, if you give a cup of cold water, if you visit in prison, if you blah, 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 any of these kinds of things, you do it unto me. He repeatedly says, if you do it unto the least of these, my brothers, my true followers, however you treat them is how you treat me. How you treat God's kids is how you treat God. Every parent knows that principle to be true. Like, if you receive my kids, we cool. You reject my kids? Don't think that we still friends. You reject me. And Christ says the same is true with his childlike citizens in his kingdom. You receive them, you receive him. And woe, he says, woe to all who reject Just read verse six. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me, see even further there, he's talking about his disciples, his children who are his by humble faith. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, better translation of the Greek would be to stumble. It's talking most specifically about stumbling in their faith. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better. In other words, he's not saying what will happen. He's saying this would be a better situation. It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Here we see the third kingdom action that lays a theological foundation for why we are partnering with grace. Action number three, protecting Christ with kingdom passion. Protecting with kingdom passion. A lot of people forget that Jesus' warning right here is directed at his own disciples. His disciples who have just asked him this question about Greatness. Jesus is basically saying to them, if you don't see with kingdom eyes the greatness of the least of these, my true followers who are pushed to the margins of society, and if you don't see that that's true, and you try to convince them that greatness doesn't actually lie in following me, but greatness, true greatness is worldly greatness. If you lead them away from me, cause them to stumble in their faith, And I have a massive warning for you. That's the implication of this text right here. Jesus is warning about leading people away from truly following him. It's kind of like the third soil that you read about in the parable of the sower, Matthew chapter 13. The third soil is where the seed, the word of God, falls But roots, I mean, thorns spring up and choke it out. And when Jesus interprets the parable, he says, those are the cares and the riches of this world. I've often wondered if those thorns are people. You say the way to greatness is not the gospel. It's all of these other ways. Riches, status, whatever. And they lead people away from their faith. Shades... We live in a particular cultural moment where there is a small cottage industry bringing up of people professionally trying to lead believers away from their faith. Oh, we got trendy names for it. Deconstruction, deconversion. The Bible's got better words for it. But we needed some to make it sound trendy. And there are people literally profiting Off leading little ones astray. And I dare say they best take heed because Jesus lays out perhaps his most passionate warning to those who would lead his little ones astray. He says, You do this, you cause my little ones to stumble in their faith. It would be better for you to have a great millstone. Mulas anikas. It literally means a donkey millstone. There were hand millstones. I'm not talking about one of those, Jesus says. I'm talking about the big one outside. It takes the donkey to turn. It would be better to have one of those things hung around your neck and to be drowned in the depth. In the depth. So, like, not near the seashore, go out where you can't even see land anymore, out to the depths where death is guaranteed. Jesus said being drowned there in that way would be better than the hell that awaits those who hurt his little one's faith. I know that's what he's saying. Just keep reading the passage. He goes on to talk about it explicitly. Shades, this is Jesus passionately protecting. I know that because he issues this warning in order to prevent people from doing this. He warns, don't do this. He issues the warning to prevent people from foolishly causing his disciples to To stumble, this warning is about prevention and it's about protection, but it is also a promise, a promise that perfect justice will be done. This warning, it acknowledges the fact that no, not all evil will be prevented in this broken world, evil like abuse that many of you have suffered. Not all of it will be prevented in this broken world, but this promises that all evil will be held accountable. A day of justice will come when evil itself will find itself wishing for millstones. Shades. Do you hear the passion of Christ's protection for the least of these, his little ones, for you? For me. These these three actions that Jesus has just described, seeing with kingdom eyes, receiving with kingdom hearts, Protecting with kingdom passion. These lay the theological foundation for why we are partnering with grace. And you may be thinking, Jonathan, how how so? How so? These verses right here that we've been through, they're not even... They're not even about seeing, receiving, and protecting literal children. You said so yourself that the children in this passage are a metaphor for true disciples. Yes, I did say that, but metaphors only work because they reflect reality, And the reality of Jesus' kingdom, seeing, receiving, and protecting the least of these, his disciples, that reality is reflected in his seeing, receiving, and protecting the least of these in this world. Most poignantly, children. Let me show you explicitly what I mean. Turn to our second text in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. Then children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray for them. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for. Here's why. Here's why I see, I receive, I'm going to protect the literal least of these. For to such, there's our word again, to such belong the kingdom of heaven. It's it's to people who humble themselves like these children. Those are the ones who are received into the kingdom. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus says the nature of his kingdom, the fact that it receives the least of these is reflected in his reception of children. In, in other words, who would believe that Jesus actually had eyes to see the least of these if he ignored children? Who, who would believe his kingdom received those who became humble like children if he rejected literal children? Who would believe Jesus' promise of passionate protection if his arms were closed to actual kids? Who would you believe? Me, if I preach a gospel that God loves you and I don't love you? The, the nature of the reality of the kingdom of God is reflected right here in the actions of Jesus. His arms are not closed to kids and we see with his reception of children a reflection of his reception of us. I can know he really does embrace the little ones, the least of these, like me. I I see that kingdom reality reflected in how he relates to the least of these in this world. Shades, we cannot preach a gospel that says God receives the least of these if we do not do the same. This world will see the kingdom reality, the Christ kingdom, sees, receives, protects the least of these in how we as a church relate to the least of these. Is that not explicitly what Jesus tells his disciples right here? Us. Do not hinder the children. Don't hinder them from coming to him. No, see them, receive them, protect them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You're showing the world what the kingdom of Jesus looks like and who it receives. Not the prideful or the powerful that this world calls great, but the humble childlike who cling to Christ. Does that make sense? Shades, do we show the world what the kingdom of Christ looks like by not hindering but receiving the least of these? This is why we are partnering with Grace. Because this organization exists to help us see, receive, and passionately protect the least of these in our community. Starting with our most vulnerable, starting with our our children, and starting with one of the most devastating issues that of sexual abuse. Shades, the reality of sexual abuse is overwhelming. Statistics say that by the age of 18, one in four women and one in six men have been victims of sexual abuse. That means in this room, there are likely somewhere around 40 survivors. Shades, I have felt led of the Lord to share with you this morning that I am one of them. When I was about nine years old, I was molested by the adult brother of one of my friends. And until this week I had never told anyone. And as I read and reflected on these realities, I felt spirit prompting. You gotta share that, Jonathan. So earlier this week, I told my wife. Yesterday, I told my parents. And I share that with you for two reasons. First, because if you are a victim to, I want you to know that you are not alone here. You are seen. You are received. And we will do everything we can to protect you. And secondly, I share this with you because if this is, if my story is not your story, if this is not your experience, I wanted to share it because I want you to know these stories are real and they have names and they have faces and they are all too tragically common. And the church is not. Immune. The reality of sexual abuse in the church is undeniable, documentedly undeniable. It is a tragedy beyond imagination. And in many cases, not all of them, But in many cases, this abuse has taken place because churches have not had eyes to see what true kingdom greatness is. True greatness is not keeping abuse quiet because it might hurt our mission. And what we mean by that is our reputation, our status. Our rank, our glory. True greatness is not receiving and protecting abusers because they are powerful, popular, often teachers, preachers, pastors who are able to make an organization grow in number and prestige. So we got to protect their reputation because we're on our path to true greatness here. Meanwhile, those abusers are leaving a mountain of victims in their wake. If that is not hindering little ones from coming to Jesus, then I, I don't know what is. Shades Christ has called us, he's calling us, his church, to wake up from such satanic slumber to true gospel greatness by seeing, receiving, and protecting the least of these. I want the world, I want West Homewood, Birmingham, Alabama, the United States, the world. I want the world to see a testimony like that through Shades Valley Community Church. I want them to see that's what the kingdom of Christ is like. Oh, Shades, mark the day. Let anyone who is an abuser here be warned. We are bringing this organization, Grace, to make this place as unsafe for you as a millstone around your neck in the sea. No, shades, no, we will not. We will, no matter what we do, we will not be able to prevent every evil from happening. But let this be a warning, that Grace is coming to also help us respond if abuse does happen in this place. They're coming to help us respond with accountability, biblically and legally, which doesn't mean that we are not a place that refuses to, it doesn't mean we're a place who now all of a sudden refuses to extend forgiveness to people like abusers. No, we do extend forgiveness and accountability. Shades, forgiveness and accountability are not foes, they're friends. You can be forgiven and properly held to account Because we at Shades Valley choose to be a place that protects the least of these. Because we choose to be a place that reflects the heart of our king. Shades, this is why. This is why we're partnering with grace. This is why this is important to us at Shades Valley. This is why it should be important to you. Because it's important to Jesus. It beats with the heartbeat of his kingdom. And Jesus, Jesus our testimony, what we say is true about us is that Jesus has changed us to see greatness differently so that we lovingly receive and passionately protect the least of these. So I wanna urge you, Shades, I wanna urge you, be here. Be here Saturday, August the 20th, nine to noon, if at all possible, be here. Be here that you may be more equipped personally to to reflect Christ in your own life by seeing, receiving, and protecting the least of these, like your own children or children in your life, but also be here as a community because Christ has called us, his disciples, to not hinder, but to see, receive, and protect the least of these. May it be so unto his glory. Father, I pray. I pray that we have seen great truths from your word that take deep root in our lives and that ultimately bear fruit. Fruit that reflects what your kingdom is like and may that serve as a beautiful witness to the world even when it rejects us. We pray these things in your name for the glory of your son by your spirit. Amen. Shades, you are invited to the table where Christ, our great God, put himself in the most humble of positions, descended to the point of death, even death on a cross. The bread, his body broken, the cup, his blood poured out. We take the bread, we dip it in the cup, and we eat as an expression of our faith that we believe the way up is down. The way to true life is through death. That it is the least who are the greatest. That our King is the one who was crucified. You're invited to the table here at the center. There's tables on the sides and one at the back where people will be serving if you'd like to hear the words spoken to you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shared for you. But you're invited in this time worship. I know we've talked about a lot of heavy stuff today. If you need prayer, there'll be people underneath the screens available to pray with you. You can find me. I'm happy to pray with you. But you're invited to the table. You're invited into this time of worship. You're invited to celebrate that you have a Jesus who sees you, is ready to receive you at his table, and has promise to protect you for all eternity he has broken his body and shed his blood in order to accomplish that you can see the reality that he is that kind of jesus just by looking at the way he picks up kids that's the way he picks up you come come to him let's worship him together